0: to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: Matthew in himself, really, he becomes a living illustration of the gospel. And as we're going to look today at the gospel, we just see with Matthew that he is, in his own experience, he's manifesting what the gospel is about. By Jesus calling him, and then the couple of incidents that follow, how in this we see the gospel in action. Today on
0: Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 2, verses 13 through 28, in a message titled The New Wine. Now, here's Pastor Brian.
1: So, here we are in our study through the Gospel of Mark. And remember the the background, Jesus had healed the the paralytic man. They had had brought that man to him in Capernaum, and they they had lowered him down through the roof, and, and Jesus healed him. But remember when Jesus healed him, he said not only rise, take up your bed and walk. But remember, he had said to him, your sins are forgiven. And so this caused a bit of a stir with the religious leaders who can forgive sin, but God alone. And Jesus said to them, he said, the son of man has power on earth to forgive sin. Now, just keep that in mind, because we're going to come back around to something similar to that as we go into the teaching today. But so after that, we don't know exactly how much time transpired, but after that, we pick up the story, and here we find Jesus. He's there by the sea, and people are, are gathered around to him, and he is now teaching the multitude. But we read here in these verses, uh, verse 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office and said to him, follow me. So he arose and he followed him. So this man, Levi, we better know him as Matthew. And he is a tax collector, as we read here. He's there at the tax booth. And Jesus calls him to come follow him. Now, as we're going to see as we go on, this was something quite extraordinary. It was something quite surprising because Matthew, in the eyes of the local religious leadership, Matthew was a person that was pretty much beyond the scope of salvation. He was a person who, in, in their minds, he had basically sold out. He'd sold out to the Romans and Therefore, he had sold out to paganism. He'd sold out to the devil as far as uh, everybody was concerned. But this is the man that Jesus sees and calls to follow him. So his name is Levi, but his name is also Matthew. Uh, We know him, of course, as Matthew more than Levi because he's the... The writer of the first gospel in the New Testament canon. So when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew is this guy right here. And so Matthew in himself, really, he becomes a living illustration of the gospel. And as we're going to look today at the gospel, we, we just see with Matthew that he is... In his own experience, he's manifesting what the gospel is about. And so we want to look at how by Jesus calling him and then the the couple of incidents that follow that Mark records for us, how in this we see the gospel kind of in action. And, And that's what I want to focus on today. You see, it's through the through the activity of Jesus we see the gospel being worked out here. It's not only hearing the gospel, but we see what that looks like. We see what, what God intended through the gospel. And so in these three stories, the one with Matthew, the, the second one with the regarding the fasting, and then the third one regarding the Sabbath we see the way that Jesus responds, we see what the gospel is essentially all about. It's about three things. Mercy and grace, which is two things, but I'm going to say they're one thing. Mercy and grace, joy and freedom. So those, those are the things that we want to consider here today. Now, in the, in the second incident over the fasting issue, Jesus ends up saying to them when they were complaining that You know, how come your disciples aren't fasting? Jesus will end up saying to them that he came to bring new wine. Jesus is coming and he's doing something new. He's doing actually the very thing that God had said for centuries that he would do. But now Jesus is there. He's proclaiming the gospel, he's living out the gospel in his uh, relations with people. And For many people, of course, this was the most wonderful thing imaginable for somebody like Matthew. It was really, in in a lot of ways, inconceivable that Matthew could be saved. So for many people, it was the greatest thing ever, but for some people, it was an absolute stumbling block. How could this man be the Messiah considering the company that he keeps, considering his behavior? And so we're going to look at all of those things. But let's, let's begin with his uh, dealings here with Levi and looking at, at the gospel as um, mercy and grace. So, so Levi's a tax collector. And as far as anybody was concerned, he was a traitor. He was a traitor to his people, and he was a traitor to God. So from the standpoint of the religious leaders, this guy was, as I said a moment ago, he, he was beyond salvation. He, this was the kind of person that you just, you just pretty much had written him off. You know, when they, when they would go by that, that uh, tax collector's booth there along the, the road, and they would see Matthew, they would just, you know, they just spit on him. It's just like, you, you are the scum of the earth. That was the attitude that they had toward him. Some of the rabbis gave room for the possibility that somebody like this could maybe be saved, but it was so the possibility was so slim, it was highly unlikely. But even if someone could, you know, repent of this, recognize that, oh, this this is just completely wrong, and and find forgiveness. They could never expect to have any kind of blessing upon their life. So that, that's the position of this man, Matthew. But notice how different Jesus is in his dealings with him. And, you know, we have to kind of use our imagination a little bit, but think, think about what this must have been like. Because Matthew, or, or Levi, uh, he would have been, to some degree, familiar with the ministry of Jesus, I mean, the ministry of Jesus was going on all around him. So he would have probably seen things from a distance. He would have heard stories. He would have, he would have seen people that were touched by Jesus. And the one thing that he would have recognized was that Jesus was different than the other religious leaders because he was attracting people and welcoming people that they would not have anything whatsoever to do with. And so it could be even in the heart of Matthew, you know, perhaps as he was there as, as sort of a onlooker, perhaps in his own heart, he was just wondering, like, I wonder if, if I could receive mercy. I wonder if this man Jesus has any room for a person like me. And lo and behold, Jesus passes by and says to Matthew, follow me. And you know, this is, it's what the Lord does so often. J.C. Ryle put it like this. He said, the Lord quite often chooses those who seem the least likely to do his will and furthest off from his kingdom. He draws them to himself with almighty power, breaks the chains of old habits and customs, makes them a new creation. And, and so Matthew is, you know, like I said, Matthew's kind of the, he's kind of the embodiment of the gospel. The, the one that the religious elite of the day would say, hopeless, don't even bother. This guy's destined for damnation. And yet Jesus not only calls him, but makes him an apostle and commissions him ultimately to write under the inspiration of the spirit, the first gospel. That's the gospel right there. That's the kind of thing that Jesus does. Now, as the story goes on, so Matthew is impacted obviously by Jesus. So What does he do? Verse 15 says, now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house. So Levi decided, I'm going to invite Jesus over. I'm going to invite him over for dinner. And I'm going to invite all my friends. Now notice who his friends are. That many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many and they followed him. So here's a house full of tax collectors and sinners. So sinners, what does that mean? Well, this is, these are the bad people. These are people that were considered by those that were self-righteous. These were the people that were considered unsavable. That's basically it. They were considered the bad people. These are the people you stay away from. These are the people that you don't associate with. These are the people that you don't let your kids get near. You know, these are the bad people in town. And yet, Jesus is having a meal with them. And so, the religious leaders, verse 16, when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Now, an important thing to recognize is eating in that culture was, it was more significant than eating in our culture is. And and even to this very day, in the culture of the Middle East, to eat with somebody is a very intimate kind of a thing. You, You just don't eat with anybody. You only eat with people that you are basically associating with in a a deep way. And so the fact that Jesus would eat with them, this was even worse in in the minds of the religious leaders, because what Jesus was basically saying is that I'm associating with these people. Now, this is something that we need to know as we look at this picture. Jesus had direct personal friendly contact and association with sinners. Note that. It was direct, it was personal, and it was friendly. Now, I'm sure it was friendly. I don't think Jesus was sitting in the house berating all of these people. Uh, They wouldn't have stuck around to listen to it. Uh, He's having friendly contact with them. Now, Jesus was among them, obviously not participating in or condoning their sin, nor was he necessarily renouncing their sin. He was among them showing and telling and inviting them into the life of God that he had come to bring them. You see, Jesus, sometimes I look at Jesus and I think, Lord, make me like that. (laughs) You know, make me like you. Sometimes I find myself in, in situations where I'm just seriously wondering, like, Lord, what would you do right here? How would you engage in this conversation or, you know, I want to be like you. And I think it's important for us to recognize what Jesus was like in the midst of these people. They were attracted to him. And so he, he obviously, there, there, was, there was something that was happening there where, like I said, I don't think he was renouncing their sin. I don't think he was looking around the room, pointing out the sins of people. The Pharisees did that all the time. I think what he was doing was he was showing them and telling them about something so much better that they would just simply long to have what he was offering and happily leave what they were presently engaged in, if they could have that. And of course, that's what happened with Matthew. He just left the tax booth. That was it. It was over. Now, tax collectors in those days were, uh, you know, they could, you could make a fair amount of money being a tax collector. And, uh, but all of that, Matthew saw in Jesus something so much more attractive. And this is one of the things that I think we as the people of God in the day that we're living in, we need to understand how Jesus associated with people like this. And, and we need to learn to do that through the help of his spirit. So we, we were just in Scotland and... Um, You know, like we always do when you land in a certain place, the first thing at the top of the priority list is to find the best coffee in town. So we had to do that. And right across from our hotel, we found this great little coffee place that was connected to a barbershop. And, um, you know, it was a real, like, hipster kind of combination with skater, combination with just, you know, dark just had the this this uh less than godly sort of a vibe about it uh but that was the place to get the best coffee so we landed and we met the guy that you know, was running the coffee place and we struck up great conversations and ends up he has some relatives here in Southern California. And so before it was all said and done, you know, we got to invite him over and hope to have coffee with him here and, and all of this stuff. But, but seriously, I mean, this place was, uh, it, you know, it was really edgy. And so you've got the week before we were there was the first gay pride parade in Dundee. So we came in on the you know the following week after that. So in the store, so it's a you know it's a it's a coffee place, a barber shop, and you know they got all kinds of paraphernalia, shirts and skate apparel and and all of that. But but you know so there was a shirt that was um, a pride shirt. You know you could buy a, a Dundee pride shirt there. There was a, there was also a shirt that basically just said you know worship Satan and do whatever the H-E-L-L you want and so that was kind of the mentality and but I'll tell you the other thing that was so ironic about it all as you know we're sitting there having great conversations telling them you know what we're doing and why we're there and you know everybody's doing their little bit you know to share the gospel with them as i was leaving the so I was leaving the store the, the last day before the, before the festival. I saw all of this, you know, kind of satanic paraphernalia. And then I saw a big old stack of invitations to Creation Fest. And I thought, yeah, this is, this is what you do here, you know. And then the next day, that guy came with his child to the event. And afterwards said, man, that was, wow, that was way different than I thought it was going to be. And it, wow, you know, that was pretty amazing. Now, you know, we could have done a couple of things. We could have walked in the door and thought, okay, we got to get out of here because this place is way too dark. Or we could have walked in the door and rebuked them for having all of that stuff there. But, you know, we thought, well, why don't we just come in and let the light shine here? And, And that's what Jesus is doing. And that's what we, his people are to do. They, the the religious leaders, their question was, how is he eating and drinking with these tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus, when he heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The new King James says, but you know, the newer translations all Do not add to repentance because they'd say the majority of texts do not have to repentance. And I think that maybe there's something there because Jesus was calling them to himself. And and we have to, I think again, that's something that we need to understand. You see, we are not to call people to live a better life necessarily. We're not to call people away from their particular sin, necessarily. We are to call people to Jesus. And guess what? Jesus does that. He calls, he deals with that stuff. And I think a lot of times we as Christians, and I have been just as guilty as anybody, you know, you're you're focusing so much on a, a person's sin and... You're, you're feeling responsible, like, I got to, you know, make sure they're convicted about the sin, and I got to make sure they understand that they can't, you know, live in this sin or whatever. You know, Jesus is really good at doing that. I mean, that's, that's what he does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. You know, when I became a Christian, nobody had to tell me I was a sinner. Guess what? I knew I was a sinner. I already knew it. And that's why I was seeking to be saved. God had convicted my heart. And, and Jesus here, he, he calls them to himself, basically. The, the, those that are healthy don't need a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous. And of course, the righteous here is a reference to the self-righteous, because there are no truly righteous people. But I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. And he calls sinners to come to him. And that's what we as his people in our generation remember the, the model that Jesus set for us. You know, that the idea, what would Jesus do? Well, this is what he did. He called people to himself. So we see, first of all, the gospel being manifested here in his dealing with Matthew. We see the, the mercy and the grace. But in the next story we see that joy is a mark of the gospel. What happens in the next story? So the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now, Listen, the Pharisees' version of serving God was a joyless, heavy, burdensome experience. That's what it was. If you're going to serve God, you better know that you're going to be miserable. That's what it was. Jesus even said, he said, the Pharisees, when they fast, he said, don't be like them. When they fast, what do they do? They disfigure their faces so that they look miserable to people. Now the Pharisees are still alive and well today. There, there are many people that that is their presentation of what it is to serve God. It is a joyless, heavy, burdensome experience. Jesus said following him was like being part of a wedding party. <laughs> that's, the, that's the distinction that he's making here. It's like being part of a wedding party. What, what, is, what is a wedding uh, party like well it's a place where there's lots of joy you see the gospel brings joy and the christian life is to be marked by joy and that's what jesus is saying to them you know they're they're really just irritated that jesus and his disciples are having so much fun
0: Let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource. So, Brian, your friend
1: has written another great book, and he's your friend, and he's also kind of your little bit of a fan. Let's just be honest. I am a big fan of Ray Ortland, and he has written this fantastic little book on the gospel, But really the gist of it is creating gospel culture within your church. So gospel culture is really, it's a culture of love. It's a culture of grace. It's a culture where anybody can come in and know that they're going to be given an opportunity to hear the good news of of God's love and people are going to be patient and judgmental. And give God time to work. So that's pretty much what he lays in out other in words, this great little book. People are going to be like Jesus. People are going to be like Jesus. As
0: they study Jesus.
1: Yeah. So I highly recommend this little book by my friend Ray Ortland called The Gospel.
0: Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Gospel by Ray Ortland. You can order the book, The Gospel, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The Gospel, by Ray Ortland to help you develop a biblical perspective of gospel culture. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark.